Today, we are going to continue to work our way through 1 Peter. So um, you'll, you'll recall Pastor John's working through Romans, and then back in November, Pastor Richard and I said, we're going to start working through 1 Peter the Sundays that John is gone. So uh, the first sermon we looked at, 1 Peter 1, and we saw that Peter was preaching to persecuted, dispersed Christians throughout all of Asia Minor. These are likely Gentiles that Peter identifies as uh, the elect exiles. They are God's elect people. And, and he goes on to explain that because they've been foreknown and chosen by God himself, that they are exiles, that they are his people. They are um, living in a world that is ultimately not their home. At the beginning of 1 Peter, uh, he unpacks the concept of our blessed hope in Christ because of the gospel. We have an unshakable, unmovable hope in our future blessing because of Jesus and what he has done in his past life, his death, and his resurrection. This causes us to have, have joy now. This causes us to have true joy now. And, uh, and that's despite our circumstances here. Remember, these Christians are dispersed. These Christians are uh, persecuted, and these Christians are to have joy because of what Christ has done. And then Pastor Richard moved on into the second sermon uh, at the second half of 1 Peter, and he said, okay, because of this now, our life should look different. We should be different. We should be changed because of the gospel. We respond with a life that pursues holiness. We, we don't do this to earn favor with God, but we do this out of an overflow of what God has done for us. He has given us mercy, and we respond with a changed life. Peter then reiterates the Old Testament adage, be holy, for I am holy. Right. So, so this is not simply an old covenant exhortation. This was not for the Jews only. This is a new covenant reality. We are to be holy as he is holy. And that is because we have experienced mercy and grace. So that brings us to our text this morning. So if you have a Bible, and I hope that you do, please turn to 1 Peter 2. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, you'll find a hardback black one in the chair in front of you, and we are on page 1014. All right, so this morning, um, you'll see we're going to work our way through ver uh, from verses 4 through 12, but I want to back up to verse 1 to get a little bit of the context of what we're saying here. So uh, 1 Peter 2, verse 1. So put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into the marvelous light. Once you were not a people... But now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, 
but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. May God bless the reading of his word. All right, so what we see here in these verses this morning should cause us great joy. This should inspire us to further service our king. We're going we're gonna to walk through these things uh, individually, but take, take a, a minute just to, to dwell a little bit on, on, these, on, on, on a portion of this passage. Our automatic response should be one of, of gratitude. It says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So we're going to get into the nitty-gritty of this, but, but let that sink in. At one time, you were on the outside looking in, headed for eternal damnation. So, so specifically in this context, Peter's talking to Gentiles, right? So, so people that were outside of the nation of Israel, saying, once you were not a people, once you were not God's people, God's chosen people, but now you are a people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This, this is true um, in, in that Old Testament context. This is true of us individually too, right? Once we were not a people, we were left to our own devices, but now we have been gathered as God's people. Once, once we had not received mercy, now we have received mercy from God. God has saved a people for himself so that through the church he is glorified. That's the big idea of this section, and, and that really controls the way that we apply the rest of this passage. God has saved a people for himself so that through the church he is glorified. So the first thing we see in this passage then is Peter describing God's covenant people. We see him describing God's covenant people. Okay, so, so God, from the beginning, he has initiated a covenant with man. Man rejected God, rebelled against God, fell into sin, and God did not just leave him there. So throughout the Old Testament, we see God covenanting with man. Under the Old Covenant, Israel was born. And through this nation, God promised to bless all of mankind. So, so God chose this particular people, and, and to this nation belong the promises of God. To, to Israel, Yahweh, God made himself known, and, and the word of God was graciously given to these people. Uh, they, they were set apart as God's people. We, we see in these verses that Peter is referring back to language of the old covenant, and he is connecting it to the new covenant. At the end of verse 3 even, we see him say, uh, make an explicit connection. Verse 3 says, If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, all right, so, so this is an allusion to Psalm 34, right? Where David says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord, Yahweh, is good. Uh, David is specifically speaking of Yahweh here. And, and look what Peter does in verses 3 and 4. He says, If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. And then he says, As you come to him. Who is him that he's referring to? He, he says, A living stone, rejected by man, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. So, so it's not Yahweh that he's referring to as him, as Lord. It is 
Jesus, right? So, so in Christ, we see the people of God gathered from every tongue and tribe and nation and brought in to be the people of God. He, he is building up a people for himself just as he has always done. He, he did this in the old covenant, and now he's still doing this in the new covenant. So this is the first aspect of the covenant with God's people that we encounter. It has always been salvation according to God's plan. It's always been salvation according to God's plan. Verse 4, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So Peter is clear here that the work of Christ was a premeditated plan orchestrated by the Father and executed by the Son. God in his, his infinite wisdom and his sovereign might has chosen Christ to be the mediator between God and man. It says that Jesus is chosen and precious in the sight of the Lord. It is clear this was plan A, and this is his unchanging purpose and will. Peter alludes to Psalm 118 uh, when he says this, where it says the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And and more than just that, Peter unpacks this in his own sermon, right? So Acts 4 that we studied through last year, Peter uh, is preaching before the council and he says something similar. He says, let it be known to all of you and to the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him, this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that, re- that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus was prefigured in the Old Testament. Jesus was the promised Messiah, and he is the cornerstone to the spiritual house that the Lord promised to build up in 2 Samuel 7. It is this plan that was executed to perfection under the care of a loving God. And, and, and notice his, his wording here, right? He, he calls Jesus uh, not just the cornerstone. He calls him the living stone, right? So, so he is referring here to our resurrected Lord. Our Jesus is alive and well and raised from the dead, seated at the right hand of the Father. He is the living God that we base our, our, our faith and our hope upon. It was this salvation plan, the, the perfect life and death and resurrection of Jesus that provides the foundation for God's spiritual household. He is the cornerstone, and we, the followers of Christ, are like living stones built upon him, built up from him corporately as the people of God. In fact, it says that we are, we are being built in an in, in indicative. It's, it's the work of God. He is building his house with us, the followers of Christ, according to his perfect plan. So, so this leads to the second truth we see in this text. This work is, is first according to God's plan, but it is second salvation that is obtained through faith. It is salvation that is obtained through faith. 
The passage is clear. God's building the house, right? So, so he is active. He is doing the work. He is faithfully fulfilling the promise that he gave to Abraham, right? Where he is gathering a people from himself through Abraham's, Abraham's offspring. God is faithfully fulfilling the promise that he gave to David where he would build up his spiritual house and someone would sit on his throne forever. And that someone is Jesus. God is faithfully doing the work. But it's also clear in this passage that is the, the, this work is completed by the means of faith. This work is completed by the means of faith. He is uh, several times in this passage referencing this. He says, as you come to him. As you come to him, as you or whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. The honor is for you who believe. We are united to Christ and included in the people of God because of the work of God. But this is only true for people who believe. Uh, so again, this is the greatest paradoxical truth that we see in scripture and we hold intention and it's true. We see it all over the pages of the Bible. God has saved us. And there is nothing we can do to add to it or take away from it. But he does this through the means of faith. As we come to him, we believe in him, and therefore we are not put to shame. In verse 6, Peter alludes to another Old Testament passage. He says, uh, this is found in Isaiah 28. There it says, Behold, I am the one who has laid a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone, of sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. All right, so, so the context of Isaiah 28 is judgment. The context of Isaiah 28 is judgment upon Ephraim for their rebellion against God. Isaiah is prophesying and saying that, that whoever trusts in the Lord avoids judgment. He's, he's saying that you need to, to trust in him. This is not a, a, a simple mental assent to the truths of God, or for, for Israel, this is not being born into the right family. This is, this is trusting in the Lord, and it is a genuine faith. It, it's, it's an active faith. It's turning away from this rebellion that is being judged and turning toward him in faith. Israel was called to repent, and Peter shows that it's no different in the new covenant. He's calling men and women to turn away from self which leads to judgment and turn toward Christ, the cornerstone and the promises found in him. God saves us by grace, and it always was and always is through faith. God's people are a people of faith. My, uh, my cousin was a missionary in Peru, and he's, he's a pastor in Kentucky now. And I remember um, the first time I found him online. I could, I could find him preaching online, and it was... It was cool to hear him. It was kind of weird because it's my cousin that we used to mess around with when I was a kid, but, um, but, but it, was, it was awesome. And, and he was preaching about nominal Christianity. What he said there um, was that it doesn't matter what your family heritage is. It doesn't matter what your parents believe. Um, when it comes to your right standing before God, it doesn't matter how you were raised or... Uh, or any of these superlative things, it, it, it matters what you believe, uh, what you truly have your faith put in. He said, it doesn't matter if your brother is a preacher or if your cousin's a missionary. And I remember like thinking like, 
wait, is he talking to me? Like, <laughs> calling me out on this? But, uh, you know, there's a lot of things I could say to, to, to let people know the shenanigans we did growing up. But, you know, he, he's right. That's, that's his main point. It doesn't, doesn't matter uh, what, you've, what you've been brought up in. It doesn't matter until, until it's your own until it's your own faith, until it's your own personal faith. Um, we are not made right before God by our gospel proximity. We, we, we are not made right before God by simple mental ascension to believing that the Bible is true. Uh, that, that's necessary, right? That, that's, that's, that's necessary, but that's not all it is. This is, this is putting all of our eggs in one basket. This is this is, we're all in. This is, this is what our faith is. This is what our, our true internal convictions are. And the, that leads to the way that we live. We must believe. We must fully trust. <clears throat> that is who he saves. That is who is not put to shame. All right, so what, what about the rest? What, what about the rest of mankind? We see, we see God saving a people for himself through faith. But then we see that this same salvation was rejected by the world. We see salvation rejected by the world. Verse 7. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. God is, is gathering a people for himself, and it is a people of faith in Christ. But for those who reject Christ, they incur judgment upon themselves. Uh, again, looking back to these Old Testament passages, they are given in the context of judgment. Jesus himself uh, uses this language him, himself in the parable of the tenants. Um, we're going we're gonna to turn over there, if you, if you want to read through it, um, Matthew 21 Verses 33 to 46, Jesus is speaking and he says, Hear another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to the tenants and went into another country. When the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did the same to them. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard, and they killed him. When, there, when therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to the tenants? They, they said to him, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits of their seasons. Jesus said to them, have you never read the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And this was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruit. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken into pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. When the chief priests and Pharisees heard this parable, 
they perceived he was speaking about them. And although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. These are chilling words from Christ. When the one who falls on this stone, he will be broken into pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. Reject the cornerstone, reject Christ, and you will incur eternal punishment in a real place called hell. There's, there's no wiggle room here. There's no second chance. Jesus has atoned for your sin. He has taken the punishment that you rightfully deserve. And if we reject him, if we reject him, there is no hope for us. We will get justice. We don't want justice. We want mercy. God has saved a people for himself so that through the church, he is glorified. And God's people are saved through true, saving, trusting faith in Christ. Do not reject him. Do not make the same mistake we see the Pharisees making here. Only judgment lies behind that door. Judge, trust in this gracious, loving, and merciful God. This solves our most urgent and critical need. We see in the text that God has saved a people for himself so that through the church he is glorified. Now, how is he glorified? How is his glory reflected through the church? How do we apply these, this, this passage? How, how should this impact, how should this truth, this, this basic gospel truth, how should this impact our lives? Well, Peter unpacks that in the second half of the text this morning, but we see it is through God's obedient people. It is through God's obedient people people. Peter says in verse 5 that we are being built up as a spiritual house to be a royal priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. All right, so, so what are these spiritual sacrifices? What should our lives look like? The first thing he says here is our lives should be lives of gospel proclamation. They should be lives of gospel proclamation. Verse 9, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his spiritual light. We are called to be a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. There is a lot there. Uh, again, Peter uses old covenant language to unpack a new covenant reality. Right, so if you're reading along in the Bible reading plan with us this year, this week you got past Exodus 19. So some of this should sound familiar to your ears. Uh, it says in Exodus 19 that God tells, tells Israel, you should be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Does that sound familiar? Right, so, so Israel was set apart by God as his chosen people to bring glory to his name. So likewise, Christian, you have been set apart by God you are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. And Peter says that the purpose of this is so that, what? We can sit and live out the rest of our lives in comfort and come to church once a week and, and, and say nothing. We, we are given the task of what? Proclaiming the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into the marvelous light. This, this is our calling this is our job. 
Verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Those who have received mercy, those who have been called and are a part of God's people are to proclaim the excellencies of him who called them out of darkness. That is our mission. We are, about to, we are to be about the business of sharing the gospel and making disciples. This is a normal, natural reaction of someone whose life has been completely transformed by the gospel. One of my, one of my friends said in a chapel message uh, at a, a college this week, if your life has been wrecked by the gospel, this is your normal and natural response. If you have been completely changed, this is what you do. We're, we're a people that love to brag, right? So, so that which we find most appealing, that which our heart gravitates to, that which we love the most, is something we find normal and natural to talk about. Uh, I, I remember a trip that Tracy and I took to Chicago back in uh, 2008, before we had kids, and um, we uh, were having a good time, and we found out that the Tigers were in town. They were playing the White Sox, and so uh, if you know anything about me, I'm like lifelong diehard Tiger fan. I'm, I'm, the, I'm the kid that tried to sleep with my head on the night they won the World Series. I dressed up as Alan Trammell for Halloween when I was seven. This, was, this, is, this, is, this is me, right? So uh, I, I don't have any tattoos, but if I was young and stupid, uh, I thought about getting a, a big old English D on my forearm and probably would be single still. <laughs> so, so, so when I found out they were going to be there, I'm like, yes, we're going to go see them win. And, and so, so I go in the closet and I, of course, you know, grab my away jersey and I grab my hat and we get on the L train and, uh, and, and, and I'm unashamedly displaying my colors um, and, and even talking trash to the dude sitting across from me on the L train. But uh, to be fair, he started it. So, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, I'm going to proclaim the excellencies of Miguel Cabrera and Justin Verlander and, and let everyone in earshot know we're there to see him win. Um, it was a normal, natural reaction for me to have for this awesome team, right? So, uh, side note, um, Verlander got lit up uh, the Tigers got no hit to the eighth, and the train ride home was horrible. So uh, I didn't have another shirt. <laughs> All right, so, so if my mind and my mouth can gravitate so easily toward that, if that's just a normal and natural thing that spills out of me, how, how, that's, that's, a, that's a meaningless game. That is a fun hobby. That ultimately is a meaningless game, especially that year. That was... <laughs> Uh, if I can gravitate toward that, how much more should I be gravitating toward speaking and proclaiming the excellencies of him who has changed my life? How much more important is that? How much more do I love the Lord for what he has done? I, I, I mean, this is, this is, this is something that, that I think is not on our lips enough. You know, we find it easy to brag about our sports heroes, or our political heroes, or our children, or our spouse, or a whole host of other things. If our lives have been true, gripped by the truth of the gospel, if we, we've had our affections kindled for our Lord, this should be the normal and natural response for us to be proclaiming the excellencies of our Lord, to be opening our mouths, to be sharing the gospel. That, you know, th that which we love the most should be 
We should be naturally unashamed and continually sharing with the world. Is that, is that where you're at today? Someone came up and asked you why you spend so much time here on Sundays. Um, it, it, is, a, is a gospel conversation your natural response? Uh, and, and if not, why? Why is that? Have, have, you been, have, your, have your affections for the Lord been kindled? Have you fanned the flame of those affections through time in the word or prayer or in community with fellow believers? If we've been gripped by the gospel, if, if we've received mercy, God has caused that to happen so that we can proclaim his excellencies to a watching world. I, I, I urge you to think through this. This is a command in scripture. This is not optional. This is not super Christian stuff. This is, this is normal, everyday Christian activity. When, when's the last time you walked someone through the gospel? When was the last time you seized an opportunity to speak truth into someone's life, even if, even if it's going to be an uncomfortable conversation? When, when's the last time you risked your reputation or, or friendship um, in order to offer the same mercy and grace that you've received? If it's been a long time, you need to repent. Uh, this is not a suggestion in the text. This is, this is an imperative. This is a, a command. Christians are disciples who make disciples. This is not for super Christians. This is for Christians everywhere at all times. This is, this is part of what it means to be a Christian. You are a people for his possession so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We need, we need to be about the business of sharing Christ. This is not a guilt trip for you don't witness enough. I, I know it can sound that way, but, but this is a word from God, and it should be our normal, natural response. That which we love the most, we share. Peter goes on further then to uh, explain the second thing that he means by our spiritual sacrifice. We are to live lives of holiness. We are to live lives of holiness. Verse 11, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passage passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. All right, so, so Peter exhorts his listeners to a life of holiness as strangers in the world that is not ultimately our home. Right? So, so we have been set apart holy as God's people. Our Heavenly Father is holy, and as children, we, as His children, we seek to honor Him with our conduct and character that reflects His holiness. Just, just like a child seeking to honor their loving parents, uh, they do that out of hearts of gratitude and love, uh, and love toward them. So too, Christians seek to honor our Heavenly Father out of lives lived in holiness according to His Word. Um, there's a couple of nuances in the text here that I think are helpful and important. Um, he, says that the he says that the passions of the flesh, so, so that is sin, wage war on the soul. This war imagery does not paint a picture of, of a one-time defeat, right? This paints a picture of a long, drawn-out campaign. It is a lifetime of fighting the flesh by the power of the Spirit. We wage war on the sin nature that still remains while, 
we are here on this earth. It is a struggle. It is difficult. It is hard, but it is worth it. We are called as Christians to forge on fighting, and we bring honor and glory to the Father as the world sees the way in which we live. John Owen described the daily warlike struggle against sin uh, in this way. He says, It is our duty to be perfecting holiness in the fear of the Lord, to be growing in grace every day, to be renewing our inward man day by day. Now this cannot be done without the daily mortifying of sin, sin that sets its strength against every act of holiness and against every degree we grow to. Let not that man think he, ha- he makes any progress in holiness who walks not over the neck of his lusts. He who does not uh, kill sin in this way takes no steps toward the journey's end. Are, are you actively killing sin in this way? Are you stepping on the neck of your lusts? Is, is this even on your mind as you wake up in the morning and go about your normal routine? Are, are you asking God to reveal more of himself in the word and then using the word as the measuring stick by which you judge your actions. As Christians, as followers of Jesus, we should be about the business of following Jesus. That's part of what it means to be a Christian. We take up our, cri- take up our cross, we, we crucify our fleshly desire, and we follow him. Ultimately, then, our holy conduct as Christians glorifies our Heavenly Father. Even as people speak evil against you, your actions speak louder than their words. So, so this is not calling for a vocal, a loud self-defense campaign. This is, this is calling for a, a quiet life of faithfulness and obedience. Our holy conduct reflect the character of the holy God that we serve. Finally, we see one more implication from this text as a whole. And uh, Peter is exhorting us as God's obedient people to live lives in community. We are to live lives in community. There's a real sense in which this epistle uh, can be read in a personal, individualistic way. Uh, in fact, this is, this is our default uh, response in the Western culture. Um, and it's true, right, that, that, that our faith in Christ is personal. It's individual. It is something that an individual must embrace. Again, we cannot gain this by proxy. However, the letter was not written to an individual. Uh, Pastor John brought this up last week in a sermon on prayer, and it's no less true here. The letter was written to churches, to a group of God's people. The assumption throughout the text here is that it is written to a community. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. He is not talking about the nation of Israel. He's talking about the church. He's talking about the, 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 the capital C church, uh, and, and that's manifest in the local church, the local assembly of believers. All, all of these commands are to be carried out by us, not by you off by yourself. God has, has graciously given us the gift of the church, and so, so we're in this together. So when we see that he has gathered us corporately, he has also called us corporately to be about the work of the ministry. We are to proclaim his excellencies together. This is one of the main reasons you've heard us address our need for more uh, workers at Banger Downs on Saturdays. We're, we're to be sharing the gospel with our community, both individually and together. And, and that is a golden opportunity to do just that. God has opened this door there, and we should walk through that door together. God, God's called us to live holy lives, 
in community, together. We're, we're to hold one another accountable, exhorting one another on to love and good deeds because we love one another and we have love for our Lord. So that's why you'll hear us talking about our need for our lives to be connected to one another in our weekly gathering here, in our community groups, and in our prayer services. If we're neglecting real, robust Christian uh, community, we are, uh, we are, are leading lives that are, are lived ultimately for uh, ourselves and not for one another. Are, are you making time in your busy schedule for this? Is, is, do your right priorities reflect this? Does your weekly uh, plan reflect this? In all of these things, Peter is showing us that God has saved a community, a people for himself, so that through the church, he is glorified. Uh, I love the imagery Peter uses in this passage. Uh, he describes the Christian as a sojourner, as an exile in the world. Rather than blending in with our surroundings, we are set apart. We are, we are distinct from the world. And, and it's not a superficial distinction, right? It's not wearing strange, out-of-date clothing or cutting our hair a certain way. It, it, it's way more difficult than that. This is, this is a higher calling than that. God has saved us and made us a people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. He has done this so that we will make his name famous by spreading the gospel. And so we will live lives in community that are obedient to his word. In all of this, God is glorified. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these words from Peter that um, show us what uh, you have done and what that means uh, for us for the rest of our lives. God, I pray that we would, um, we would hear this and not quickly forget, but we would be changed. Lord, we, we thank you for your church. We thank you for your word. Um, Lord, I pray that um, together we are about the business of proclaiming your excellencies and living holy lives together in community. In your name we pray, amen.